Diffuser. Everybody stand by and action. The home of alternative and independent rock and roll. Diffuser is the place where music fans come to talk. Join the conversation. This is Diffuser Radio. Diffuser Radio. So I think this marks the uh, fifth episode of Diffuser Radio, and I'm still just as excited about this podcast as I was when we launched it a couple of months ago. My name is Chuck Armstrong, and I'm the editor-in-chief of Diffuser, and we couldn't do this without you. You downloading this, you streaming this, listening to the show. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing it with your friends. Uh, in this episode, we're focusing solely on a roundtable discussion with some very bright writers uh, about what it means for us, for music fans, for the press, for the public, to idolize fallen artists. Do we take things too far? Sit back and relax as we kick off another episode of Diffuser Radio. You're listening to Diffuser, where we don't just cover the news, we are the news. This is the Diffuser Roundtable. This episode's Roundtable is in, it's inspired by the new and highly anticipated documentary that examines the life of Kurt Cobain, Montage of Heck. It's set to premiere on HBO on May 4th, though it's already making the rounds at select theaters across the country and it's premiered at a number of festivals. Uh, Montage of Heck, it runs more than two hours, and it's packed with home videos, interviews, music, artwork, and more, all, all from the life of Cobain, his friends, his family, they all contribute to this, uh, to this film. It's a haunting documentary, to say the least. Leading up to its official premiere, we've been excited to share bits and pieces of the doc from videos that have surfaced to the photograph of Cobain's uh, mixtape dubbed Montage of Heck, the inspiration for the doc's title. In all of this, though, it's become a little apparent that maybe we jump at too much. So Cobain drew pictures when he was a kid. Is it really that important? Or are we so obsessed with him and with his life and maybe with his death that we'll take literally anything and spin it into a story? So, are we actually keeping the legend of Cobain alive, or are we plundering his grave? Are, there, are, are these actually stories? Are there actual stories here, or are we just being ghoulish? This roundtable is comprised of three columnists who you've heard from before on Diffuser Radio, and who you've read on Diffuser.fm. Uh, first up is Tim Karen, our senior editor. Hey guys, what's up? I am Colin from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. James Stafford. Hey, greetings from California. And I got to give James credit for the ghoulish line uh, <laughs> a few seconds ago. And uh, this roundtable is uh, it's it's rounded out by Mr. Jeff Giles. Hey guys, calling from New Hampshire. Thank you guys so much for joining in. Always love hearing what you have to say. And you know, we don't need to limit this discussion just to Cobain. We can easily take a look at the life of Hendrix. We can look at our obsession with anniversaries. But because Montage of Heck is the inspiration for this roundtable. Let's kick it off that way. I think, you know, um, Kurt Cobain is really sort of an exception to the norm when it comes to our relationship with dead celebrities. I think that before he died, he was already, you know, not only the face of grunge, but really the face of a, a generation. And, you know, he was already on the verge of transcending just typical fame. But when he died, and especially the way that he died, I mean, he cemented his place as an icon, like a cultural icon on the same level as James Dean or, or Marilyn Monroe. So I don't think that you can even really compare him to say Lane Staley or even Jeff Buckley, because I think the, the mythology surrounding him just far surpasses his, his actual humanity. He's, he's basically like a, like a folk hero now. So when we, when we stumble onto like a video of Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain from, you know, the early nineties 
30 seconds long. There's not much to it. But, you know, we, and I mean, Diffuser does it. Everybody does this. You know, we, we are compelled to write a story about it. Um, you don't see that as, as wrong or, or plundering his grave at all. I mean, I, I don't, I just think that there's a, a reason that people want it. And I, I think that people relate to him way more personally than they do, say, just Lane Stately, you know, and, and we're not doing it just and then pushing it on people, you know, it's because people legitimately care. No, yeah, that's uh, that's a fair point. I mean, I, I I think that's why we do a lot of what we do. Yeah. Uh, James, do you uh, do you agree with that? Well, <clears throat> I'm a little torn here. Um, when it comes to the the artistic legacy, uh, you know, I completely agree. I'm the same way with say Jeff Buckley. You know that that estate has put out record after record. The guy only, you know, he only produced one record in his his short lifetime, but. I don't remember how many albums the estates put out since then, and and uh, you know I always I always pick them up. I love Jeff Buckley, but you know when I think about the artistic legacy of Kurt Cobain and Nirvana, that's one thing. But then, you know, just a few years ago, for example, up in Seattle, I went up to the uh, Experience Music uh, Project Museum, the EMP Museum, which in itself is a, a monument to to Hendrix, right? And there was a uh, uh, a Nirvana exhibit. And I, I remember walking through and seeing things like, this is Kurt's shirt. This is Kurt's sweater. This is Kurt's canned meat collection. No joke. This is Kurt's <laughs> canned meat collection. And, and I, I just, I was hit with this, this almost guilty feeling of what am I doing looking at Kurt can Cobain's canned meat collection. It was such a, a personal kind of intimate thing that had absolutely nothing to do with that artistic legacy, that it felt creepy. Jeff, where do you fall on this discussion? Uh, I, I think, well, I think a few things. I think that part of the reason that you see Kurt Cobain's canned meat collection uh, <laughs> on display or, or his, uh, I just had to write a story last week about his old apartment being listed for rent on Airbnb. I think the reason that you see stuff like that is that part of his whole image was a, a rejection of that larger than life um, myth that a lot of rock stars embrace. You know, he was supposed to be more of a normal guy, and I think that helped a lot of fans feel like they knew him on a more intimate level. And I think he was probably also one of the first big celebrity deaths that happened after the rise of the uh, the chat room. The internet message board, you know, it, it uh, when he when he died, it, people could, the, the fans could get together in a way that they weren't necessarily able to do when uh, Jim Morrison died, say. But I also think we would be remiss <clears throat> if we didn't point out that the reason we write a lot of these stories about thirty second videos is uh, is uh, SEO. You know, it's it's uh, the uh, as as you put it. Chuck, the demand is there. It's uh, it's it's search engine stuff. It's uh, people go looking for these things all the time, and that is why sites all over the place dedicate so much time and energy to um, to to posting stories about every last little speck and shred of content about the artist. Yeah, that uh, I mean, that's you know, that's the reality of of what what we're in in 2015 and like you yeah. you know you're right when when Hendrix died obviously a completely different world 
Um, though we still see the Hendrix estate releasing music slowly uh, every year. You know, every I think every record store day and record yeah. store day Black Friday, there's a there's a seven inch yeah. um, from from the estate, which is great. I love it. I'm a huge Hendrix fan, and so you want to offer me up new music from uh, from Jimi Hendrix? Yeah, man, yeah, give it to me. I I, I love that. Um, is it taking it too far though when we? when there's a rumor that there might be a sex tape from Courtney Love and Kurt Cobain, like that gets a little creepy or it gets a little silly when a museum, you know, a, a, a well-respected museum puts up a, a canned meat collection. <laughs> um, I don't know. I maybe, and, and maybe that's part of the life of Cobain, you know, that he was, like you said, Jeff, you know, this rejection to stardom, uh, to fame, you know, that he was a silly guy. You know, this this documentary, Montage of Heck, highlights a lot of that. His journals, his uh, audio recordings, all of which I have no idea if he intended for anybody to hear or read, uh, but now millions of people are hearing it. Yeah. Um, it does, I mean, to steal the term from uh, from James, it does feel like it gets to a point where it's a little ghoulish, where it's it's not just an estate releasing music, you know, on occasion, or putting together a documentary even. Um, I think there's value to that. But it gets so deep into the life of a guy that most people never met. Most yep. people didn't really come to know him until after his death. And so it does, it, it, I think it does border that kind of creepy line. I think that he sort of, not to name drop anybody too famous, but he reminds me of this guy, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> he... It's kind of like a, I mean, he's a Christ figure. He basically, he, he sacrificed himself for our musical sins, you know? He he became, we love tragic figures, and it goes further than Jesus. It goes back to, you know, Greek and Roman mythology. There's something about knowing that there's somebody else, a human, who is suffering sort of for us, you know? Kind of like, I mean, he, 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 took, he made the ultimate sacrifice to basically remain the 27-year-old icon that he was. You know, we never had to watch him potentially, you know, he he would not be Kurt Cobain had he lived, you know. He would have become just another musician. He was already just kind of another musician. You know, Eddie Vedder could have potentially been more famous at the time of his death. But it's just, you know, he he's 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 elevated himself literally to to a status that almost no we can't really compare him to anybody else. So it might seem ghoulish, but it's like you, how do you? It's not the same as it is with anybody else. You know, I think I think one of the the things that makes uh, kind of the post mortem Kurt Cobain uh, fascination so so difficult is that he had such a uh, strange relationship with fame in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think that's kind of what part of what adds to that 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 ghoulish feeling. You know, would he really want his journals published? Would he really want his canned meat collection on on display? It it feels like no. Obviously, I didn't know Kurt Cobain, but um, I mean, fame is essentially the thing that destroyed him, arguably. So it 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 really seems almost like a uh, uh, an insult to his legacy. To, to prod that deeply into his personal life. It's probably also worth mentioning that the you know the music industry, the state that the industry is currently in, they have a much much more of a vested interest in pushing stuff like the Hendrix releases that you're talking about, Chuck. 
Yeah, no, that that that's absolutely true. I think when you you've got like that. twenty stars left, you know, you got to really squeeze every last drop out of that <laughs> vault that you can. <laughs> is it a? Uh, maybe this is taking it too far. Um, is it a? But but thinking about what you just said, Jeff, is it a? Is it a commentary on the state of music today that we're so uh, into things like 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 what's going on with Cobain from? from 20, 25 years ago, or still on the edge of our seats for a new Hendrix 7-inch? I don't know. I think I, I resist feeling that way because I feel like at my age, it's natural to feel that way, and I, I don't want to believe it. But it, it might also be that it's it's become so much easier to collect. You know, when I think when all of us were first collecting music, you really had to be very judicious about what you collected, both in terms of money and in terms of space. And now that really isn't as much of a factor and it's a lot easier to just grab stuff or to, you know, to stream an unreleased song or watch a video. Um, it, and, uh, and, and obviously the, the labels have found ways to uh, monetize all that stuff. And, um, and so there's just more of it. I think the timing too, really, it, 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 like you guys had said, like with the internet, like, and the really the reason that we're sort of fascinated with anniversaries right now. A lot of those anniversaries are rooted in the '90s. It's just because that generation is now we're the, we're the people that are nostalgic for things now. Yeah. So the timing all is just kind of it's a perfect storm for for just turning Kurt Cobain into a to an idol. Well, you know, it's it's interesting too. I think, uh, and a guy that we haven't mentioned yet. Um, Elliot Smith, he kind of falls into that, into that realm of um, I don't know if you quite call him Jesus, but uh, hmm. you know, uh, Tim, you used the term folk hero at the beginning of this. Um, I really look at him as sort of of a folk hero um, for what he for what he did and and obviously the way that he he left. Um, but and it's interesting too because I think later this year uh, we're gearing up for the uh, for a documentary about his life. Obviously, a different level of stardom. Uh, Nirvana is has you know surpasses any expectations and in, in international fame. Uh, Elliot Smith is on a little lower level than that, but there's still this element of you know us diving into the life of Elliot Smith. Another call him a recluse or whatever, but another guy who maybe a lot of this stuff wasn't ever meant for public consumption. You know, as as long as I don't have to look at a variety of Elliot Smith's favorite snack foods, I'm <laughs> cool with it. So th that's, I guess that's that's kind of what it comes down to for me personally. Um, and James, I think maybe you're on the same page. Is that you know we look at what's going on with Elliot Smith and with his documentary, and you know there have been things released uh, since his death. Uh, just actually this past record store day. There was an album uh, from the band Number Two, which was the band that followed Heat Miser, which had Elliot Smith in it. And this Number Two band, really, other than that, no real connection to Elliot Smith, except he guests on a couple tracks, and the digital download that came with the vinyl included some Elliot Smith demos. And so, you know, there's always kind of this desire to squeeze as much as we can out of it. But we're not diving into it so deep that there are. Yeah, the, this can't this this can't meet collection. <laughs> I keep coming back to that. You know, the, like that just seems like it's going so far. And and throughout montage of heck, and if you haven't seen it, I'm sure you guys will watch it when it when it hits HBO. Um, 
is throughout the documentary are clips of, of Cobain's drawings. And everybody, everybody he talked that, 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 that the documentary features talks about his art, more, almost more than his music, that he loved drawing, that, that that was such a big part of his life. But a lot of his drawings, especially as a young kid, you know, they, they look like little kid drawings. And, and, I, and, and it kind of just hit me like, all right, I get this because he's Kurt Cobain, because he is, he's not Chuck Armstrong, he's Kurt Cobain that it is interesting and that there's a reason to kind of see his evolution from a two-year-old to a 27-year-old. But it does feel like there's a point where we cross a line. Do you think it does a disservice to the legacy of Kurt Cobain uh, to have a collection of canned meat at a museum? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, or, 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 you know, some of these things in, this, in, the, in the documentary that maybe they don't really elevate the documentary to a new level. They just like I said, squeeze as much, you know, as possible out of, out of his life. Do you think it does a disservice to his legacy, to his life? Well, I haven't seen the documentary yet, so it's, it's, it's hard to say. Um, it's hard for me to say, I should say, but there are certainly things that I, I think do a uh, disservice. You know, when his journals came out a few years ago, I thought that did a bit of a disservice because to, to your point with his, his juvenilia, his, his childhood drawings, there was a lot of, uh, I, I had very much the same feeling um, uh, looking through those journals. Um, and it's certainly, I think things like the, the sex tape, I think does a, a disservice to his legacy, not because it's a sex tape, because, you know, in 2015, everybody has a sex tape. But, I mean, you know, it's just, it, it really has no place in, in that, that conversation, in my opinion. I, I, I just, I always go back to the, the thing that I personally am interested in uh, with these guys is their artistic legacies. You know, I'll buy any Hendrix single that comes out on any record store day. I'll buy any new Nirvana box that comes out and, and I'll enjoy it. But the, the stuff that gets into the personal lives, it's, it's just too much for me. Tim, what say you? Yeah, I kind of agree. I, I, I think that <sighs> In a sense, that a lot of the—I hate to bring up the canned meat, but the canned meat, like they, he, Nirvana, and I think a lot of grunge musicians in general, a lot of that was rooted in so much more tongue-in-cheek humor than people. It's become so serious now the way that we look at it, and I think in a way he might have thought that was hilarious that 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 stuff is there for people to pay money and and go and see. I do think that like publishing his journals is is probably over the line but somebody in his camp most likely i guess courtney love made that decision and and you have to sort of trust that they know best what he you know they wouldn't do something that would have been too much for him and i guess that's what we kind of have to operate under is this just like if, if you know if 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 she thinks it's okay we have to trust it because she was the closest person in the world to him and I mean, for me, it's the music. I mean, and that it really is like I would want any bit of music that comes out because that's just that's what I was interested in in the first place. And I think that it's all sort of tied to that as people just we want something more from him and we're never going to get it. And so we have to take it however we can. Well put. How about you, Jeff? Uh, I think if it does a disservice to anybody, it does a disservice to the consumer. I, I, I don't really understand who's interested in this stuff, to be honest. I, uh this conversation reminds me of when I bought the first Pet Sounds box set. Did you guys ever listen to that? Oh, yeah. Right. So, you know, I, I love that record. 
it, it meant a lot to me, especially at the time. But listening to take after take of all of these songs with you know the most minute of differences between them, after a while, I just started to feel like I was going crazy. And um, uh, I, the, the album is what means the most to me. You know, I. I don't know what you guys do, but when I contribute to like a pledge music campaign, I actively avoid the demos. You know, I, I, I don't want to hear it, especially before the album is finished. I want to hear the artist's statement and I want to experience it that way. And maybe once in a while I'll, I'll delve into uh, the odd demo or, or uh, alternate take or whatever. But really what I want to hear is, is, I guess, what they officially had to say is uh the best way i can put it and i i just don't i can't relate to wanting to thumb through kurt cobain's journals you know uh, aside from feeling awfully invasive it just doesn't seem all that interesting to me well i will say this that uh no matter where you fall on that spectrum uh you will probably find something of interest in uh in montage of heck they uh brett morgan the director uh he just did a fantastic job purely from a a cinematic perspective you know take the the content put that to the side and just looking at it as as a movie um it's it's really exceptional what he did Uh, and the interviews that he got and and just the things like that it it is very fascinating but yeah i think uh you know there 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 comes a point where it's like i said it's very haunting um yeah it's a it's a very uh dark story obviously you know as if you should expect anything else <laughs> i should say uh one of my other gigs is at rotten tomatoes and so i've read a ton of reviews for montage of heck and uh the the critical community vouches for your assessment it's supposed to be a terrific film and and uh you know not a uh, uh, uh one that walks the line pretty effectively between holding him up to an unrealistic standard and one that is sort of a warts and all uh, yeah. approach yeah, I, I think I think they did a very good job, and you know, Tim, to your point, I think you're right to the to the estate to the people who have a role in this documentary. You know, Francis, uh, his daughter, his and Courtney's daughter, she was an executive producer for this, and so you know, you're right to an extent. We're just four dudes sitting behind microphones chatting, and and we have to kind of say like, all right, you know, his daughter knows what's best, and we have to put our trust in her, even if we might not agree with it. All right, Hendrix Estate, you know what you're doing. You know we got to put our trust in you. Uh, that doesn't mean everything they do is always right or the best decision, but um, there's a reason for it. And uh, so yeah, you know I think I think with that, guys, I, I think it's it's uh, we could probably talk about this for a couple more hours, but it's probably time to wrap this up. Thanks again for the discussion. I always love hearing your thoughts on the various topics we cover in the world of music, and this was a fantastic conversation. Tim Karen, James Stafford, Jeff Giles, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. And to yeah. you, the listener, thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for sharing this with your friends. Uh, if you have a topic you want us to tackle, shoot us a note at staff at diffuser.fm. Find us on Twitter at diffuser.fm and hit us up on Facebook at diffuser. Let us know what you want to cover and we'll do our best to, uh, to sound somewhat smart about the topic. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, guys. Until next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Diffuser Radio. Make sure you stay up to date with everything happening in the world of alternative and indie rock at diffuser.fm. Until next time, don't follow the leaders. Watch the parking meters. Come on.